Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. I just feel like that we get uh, a lot of times with uh, faith-based in Appalachia, we get judged that we're not, uh, you know, that you're this and anything that doesn't go along with that, that you hate those people or you don't like them, you don't want anything to do with them. That couldn't be the furthest from the truth. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place perspective but always Appalachian and don't forget Will tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our Appalachian region if you're a entrepreneur out there especially in eastern Kentucky check them out Appalachian meets world we're back another week it's Will and Neil what up man kind of as a follow-up to last week but did you see trailer this week uh did I see the trailer so now we're combining Travis and Taylor, uh-huh. and it's uh-huh. Trailer. Uh-huh. Oh, see, obviously I'm not down with the lingo. <laughs> I did, I did see it. I did see it. You and the rest of the America, literally, the Jets Kansas City game was the most watched show on TV, especially in in regards to NFL games. But I think just on TV since the Super Bowl last year. That's unbelievable. I did watch it, by the way, because it was a good game, by the way. So, Trailer made an appearance once again. And I wonder if, like, this is going to become a thing. Because she had, like, other celebrities with her at the game. Did you did you notice that? <laughs> yeah, in the box. Yeah, she had yeah. a ton of celebrities. Of course, it was in New York, so I'm sure they all lived there. Yeah. Two of them that are my favorites were there, actually. And, it, uh, you know, I didn't oh, know. Bill, I didn't Bill know. has favorites. Please. I do, I do. If there's, Please share. If, there, if there's a favorite couple out there that I like, they're going to be in a movie. I'm going to watch it. It's Blake Lively. And Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, I like them. Yeah, she brought her own entourage. Now uh, Mahomes' wife is getting in on the action. <laughs> yeah, but did you, see the, did you see the shot of her eating the chicken finger? No. <laughs> the, oh, yeah. There's there's pictures going around like Taylor Swift's in the background cheering and Mahomes' wife is sitting down like eating a cheese stick or a chicken finger and looking at it, looking at the chick, chicken finger like she's all depressed. It's a, it's a hor- horrible picture of her, which I thought was hilarious. I, I was kind of disappointed you didn't give me the, the weather report, but it seems to be a heat wave. That has come through all parts of Appalachia. Well, first part of the week. Now we're 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 trending down on the the second half. So it's supposed to be frost on the ground tomorrow morning. So we'll see. I know we don't get political too much, much Joe. But did you see? Try not to. The House Speaker got booted. I mean, just when you think things are gonna get back to normal, <laughs> they have to go and do something that's never been done before. In order to to keep the country at bay, at this point, does anybody care what's going on in Washington D.C.? 
I know, I know. Going beyond politics, but getting into like the strikes, you know, we, we spoke about that before, but you know, they had the, the writer strike, the actor strike, and now they have healthcare yeah. strike. Everyone's striking. But I'll, I'll be honest, I know we talked about how much of a disruption it would have been if UPS would have would have striked, but as far yep. as the right strike and actor strike, did that affect you whatsoever? Like I didn't even notice. There's so much content out there. Like, does it even matter? I spent three days in the woods praying that they would they would get over their strike just so the world <laughs> would go back to normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I yeah. mean, it had it had long lasting effects on me. They could still be on strike right now, and I wouldn't know or care. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I, I, I side by any worker that feels like they're they're unrepresented or, or need more for their value. But right. as far as like affecting my day to day life, it does not, and it did not. Yeah, when you have the minor striking and they get no recognition whatsoever, no news coverage at all, yet they are literally fueling the country yeah like i said in previous episodes they can take california and make it its own country and i'm good with it so now that we've covered world geography and what's going on in the world uh what's going on in appalachia will you got any app news for me a little bit of app news i know i mentioned last week the dark sky symposium i wanted to mention that again if you're interested we'll post that again in the show notes they're having call for participation for that the funders now network i mentioned that in the we mentioned that in the past too their webinar is coming up next week october 11th so if you're interested in that we'll post it again in the show notes also i wanted to hit on a little music i know we talk about music in this show but in regards to app news brad paisley i'm not a huge fan but he just came out with a four song ep called son of the mountain He's going to be coming out with a full album here in a couple months. But the four-song EP, all of the, he's taking it back to his roots. As you know, he's from West Virginia, and all these songs are about him growing up in West Virginia or some of the issues that West Virginia faces. So I thought that was pretty cool of how he's bringing it back to his roots and released these four songs on an EP. So we'll post that in the show notes. You can check it out. Also, I don't know if you caught, but... Google, you know how they do the Google doodles? <laughs> if you go, I don't. If I you don't. go to Google search, obviously there's a screen there every day, but occasionally they'll have a different type of screen commemorating some important event, commemorating some person, uh, commemorating a holiday. Anyway, when on October 2nd, when you went to the to Google to search, their doodle was a tribute to the Appalachian Trail. You could click on it, and it was this long, drawn-out, like, cool, animated uh, tribute to the Appalachian Trail. So I thought that was pretty cool that Google was recognizing the Appalachian Trail. A little bit more app news. Yeah, that is cool. The 47th Annual Appalachian Studies Conference takes place next March 7th through 9th, but there is a call for papers, call for participation, and the deadline is October. October the 9th. So if you're interested in that, check it out. We'll post it in the show notes. Also, the ARC just awarded $1 million to help Appalachian local development districts access more 
federal funds for region communities. So it's through the Ready Appalachia program it's for the LDDs within the ARC footprint. Some of those that received money were in Kentucky, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio, West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina. Again, that's to help them gain capacity and gain access to the federal funding that, that is coming out. One more thing that I wanted to talk about, SmokyMountain.com. Well, I don't think it just released, but they have a fall foliage projection map, which is pretty cool. You should definitely check it out. We'll post it in the show notes. That's SmokyMountain.com. It shows date by date of how the leaves will be changing, how the fall foliage will transpire over the course of the season. If you look at it right now, you can see pretty much all of Appalachia is patchy. It hasn't really turned yet, but it's coming. You can project. So you can go to next week, the week after, or tomorrow, the day after, and it'll tell you day by day of how the leaves are going to change. So if you're interested in fall foliage and checking that out, definitely check out this website. I think it's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. And, of course, uh, you know, we're on the tail end of this week was the SOAR conference down in Corbin, Kentucky. So I know we mentioned that previously, but I heard some great reviews from it. So I'm glad they had another uh, successful summit. If you're not, if you're not into Appalachian news and you don't have a way to keep up with it, man, if you'll just read our show notes, we will keep you in tune to what's going on. Yeah, we will try. The thing is there's so much going on. We can only mention some of the top items every week. So, Definitely check out our show notes and dive more into what's happening in Appalachia. Speaking of getting reminders, I got a reminder. I got an email from, it was from Southern Living, but I know we talked about recipes, tailgate recipes, grandma's tailgate recipes a couple of weeks ago. I got church recipes this week. I wanted to go through, not really go through some of them, but some of them that were on the menu, you know, there's always this tradition where you have a meal. Sunday after church. They had potato salad. They had fried chicken, lasagna. They had a number of casseroles. They had mac and cheese, some white chicken chili. They had your sausage balls, Neil. They had grits, uh-huh. grits with cream corn. They also had corn pudding. They had a bunch of salads. They had King Ranch, meatloaf, chicken salad, pears and cottage cheese, which was a favorite of mine growing up. Uh, got that from our papaw. Deviled eggs, they had, Neil. You know, they had all kinds of these after-church recipes. What do you remember, Neil, about Sunday meals or that Sunday meal after church? Man, wow, Will. We're, we, we're covering, relig- we're covering uh, politics and religion on this episode. Your memory is the same as mine. Like when we were kids, we'd go to, to after church. We went to the hospital for lunch. And I know that's <laughs> super weird. But it's still ingrained in my mind. Where are we going to eat? We're going to the hospital. What? You're going to the hospital to eat? <laughs> but in the small town community that we grew up in, the hospital cafeteria was literally hopping after church was, on Sunday. It was so good. I can still taste it. I mean, I loved it. So... You know, every now and then, every now and then we wouldn't go to the hospital and we would go to Druthers. But growing up in small town America, that's just what you did. We didn't have so, too many options. I mean, Druthers, Pizza Hut, the hospital or KFC. 
A lot of times we would get <laughs> straight out KFC. You weren't supposed to tell the listeners that we didn't have a lot of options, but that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We we wanted to go to the hospital to eat, Will. We amazing. wanted to go there. It was amazing. It really was. I mean, I say that sarcastically, but I mean it was my favorite place to go, cafeteria style. You kind of touched on something there when you when you let off. You know, one thing when we sit down at after church, when we sit down for a meal anytime in Appalachia, two things that we're not supposed to talk about. Religion and yep. politics. We like to cover all our bases here on Appalachia Meets World. So I'm looking forward to tonight's conversation. We've covered politics. We've talked a little bit about religion, but I'd like to get more into it. Yeah, we have spoken a little bit about religion in the past. You know, religion is a big tradition within Appalachia, not just white evangelicals. You know, we've spoke about Judaism in the past in Appalachia in some pockets. Uh, There are a number of other religious entities within Appalachia. It's very like Appalachia is diverse. Also, religions are diverse. But we're speaking to an individual today who it's damn near impossible not to talk about politics and religion with him. <laughs> I can't believe he said that. And I love it at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, this guy is infiltrated daily with both aspects of the don'ts in, in here where we live and across the country. Don't talk about these two things. This man could not exist on a daily basis without covering both these bases. Yeah, Mr. Randy Hetty, who is the mayor of a small town in East Tennessee, as well as a pastor of a church there. So we really wanted to have a couple episodes on religion, the history and the heritage of religion in or faith in Appalachia. We wanted to have Mr. Hetty on the episode, not only talk about faith and faith in Appalachia, but also his dual capacity of how He's a pastor, but also the mayor of a small town and and how that role plays out within his own community. Without further ado, man, let's let's get the man on. I'm looking forward to it. All right, let's do it. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. On today's episode, we have a special guest. Mayor Randy Hetty. He's the mayor, the county mayor of Jackson County, Tennessee, where he is in his second term, having been elected first in 2018. Jackson County is home to 11,000 residents, roughly. Um, Before mayor, he actually served two terms as commissioner. He's also coming up on 27 years as church leader and pastor of New Hope Baptist Church since 1997. So the Honorable Randy Hetty, thank you so much for being on the episode. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, absolutely absolutely an honor to be with you and your brother today. Will, I'm excited about this. So uh, thank you for having me. We ask this of everyone, but as most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this gigantic spread of appetizers of food before the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Oh, man. So we don't have a lot of appetizers. What we do is we have a lot of desserts. Okay, And so this is going to sound crazy, but my favorite dessert 
is actually uh, sweet potato casserole. And I know that's a meal, but uh, that's my favorite <laughs> dessert. Uh, usually when we're getting ready, the, the family setting the table, I'm, I'm over there eating sweet potato casserole as a appetizer before we sit down for the big meal. But uh, nice. uh, that definitely would be it or fried apple pies. All right. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but we have side pies, right? We call them side pies. Hand, hand pies. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Nice. The, the apple uh, apple pies that are fried. And uh, uh, if you're from Appalachia, you probably know what that is. But you better be hitting everybody's hand because them ain't going to last long. Uh, everybody's <laughs> eating them way before it's time to eat the real meal. I got it. Sweet potato casserole with marshmallows on top. I, 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 you can do marshmallows on top or you can just do the nuts on top. Either one works for me as long as it's got plenty of brown sugar. I'm good. There you go. <laughs> just make it a dessert. I like it. I like exactly. it. Those are two great food items, Will, and and two that I don't think have ever been mentioned. So I'm hungry just thinking about it. Yeah, definitely. And, and now that we have that question out of the way, uh, Mayor, when we sit down at our dinner table, there are really two things that they always say you shouldn't talk about, in, especially in Appalachia. It's religion and politics. That's pretty impossible in, for you to not talk about one of the two. You know, I mentioned your dual role as mayor, but as pastor. And in this episode, we really want to focus on that faith or religion in Appalachia. You know, there's a long history of faith, of culture, of this religious identity. I think there's also a lot of misconceptions when it comes to faith in Appalachia. When people first think of religion in Appalachia, a lot of outsiders think of snake handlers or river baptisms, which, you know, that that happens. That is in Appalachia. But in reality, you know, there's a lot more uh, in regards to religious beliefs, uh, Protestant, Christian. But there are a number of different denominations within Appalachia, even a shift toward progressive Christianity. What do you think are the misconceptions of faith in Appalachia? Yeah, so really good question. And uh, the thing is, there, yeah, I get asked all the time, do you have snakes? And of course, that's not the norm, right? Now, water baptisms may be, okay? So we, we, uh, I'm talking about rivers. Uh, we do go to the river occasionally to do that, but uh, we also have a baptistry, you know, because when it's uh, 20 degrees outside, I don't care anything about getting in a river. I want to do it <laughs> when it's nice and warm, you know, bath water warm. Amen. But we do have those from time to time. We go to the river just for the nostalgic part of it. And then you'll have the person who wants to be baptized in the river, right? They come from old traditional faith believers and it's, that's all good. But the other big misconception that we have is you are that we're backwoods, right? Christianity. And that, that couldn't be further from the case. Uh, the thing about Appalachia in Christianity is that very open and welcoming to everyone. You know, I mean, that, that's the whole thing. We are in the Bible Belt. So whether you're in Tennessee or Kentucky uh, area, uh, even North Carolina, I think that that would be South Carolina. You'd be considered to be in the Bible Belt. And faith runs deep here. It's important. It's, it's a part of who we are. And you, you mentioned earlier about being progressive. You see a lot of progressive movement, even in the, where I'm from. Uh, you see a lot of that. Um, we're not part of that progressive movement, but you do see it. And 
And uh, I just feel like that we get uh, a lot of times with uh, faith-based in Appalachia, we get judged that we're not, uh, you know, that you're this and anything that doesn't go along with that, that you hate those people or you don't like them, you don't want anything to do with it. That can be the furthest from the truth of what the practice in the word says. The word says you love everybody regardless, right? Not love thy neighbor as thyself. And uh, that's really important uh, in, the li- in the world we're living in today is to show that kind of love is really, really important. Beyond uh, the misconceptions, I think you 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 hit a point there. The one thing that ties all religion together, kind of in our region, is that increased devotion to culture or to family commitment to church or attendance. I've lived in other places, as you know. You know, I lived in the Northeast, and I have three small kids, and it was nothing for them to schedule kids' activities on Sunday morning. They didn't, they didn't think twice about it. Whereas where we're from in Appalachia, that's, that's a big deal. So I think there's this difference, this level of importance placed on religion in the region. Is that something you would agree with? I would. I would. Uh, you know, nobody has ball games on Wednesdays, okay, because Wednesday's a church day, even though that is starting not to be the norm anymore. Uh, Sunday mornings, nothing goes on on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoons. I'll never forget when I was in high school, we had a new football coach to come in to the, uh, they hired a new football coach. And first thing he did is he scheduled film, film uh, at, at uh, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Everybody on the football team was like, hey, coach, we won't make that. Because <laughs> everybody on the football team was going to church, right? So we're not going to make it. He said, what do you mean? Well, we all go to church. I mean, uh, if you want me to play football, uh, you better not make me be here in the morning at 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just the way it was in the 80s, 90s. And it's been that way. Uh, we have youth sports here in Jackson County, of course, and uh, summer youth sports. And, and no, nobody has a game on Wednesday. Nobody has practice on Wednesday. You, you just don't do that because that's a church day. And uh, you just don't schedule things. Even your high school teams and your middle school teams, they don't schedule anything on Wednesday, even though I will say that I'm starting to see a movement that's not as precedent as it used to be. It's starting makeup games are on Wednesdays. And when I was in school, you would my kids were in school. You would have never had that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. You know, I, I saw that the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, they stated that not there are 900 to 1,200 church closings each year, which is a large number of churches uh, throughout. That's throughout the country, but a large number of those are also in the Appalachian region. So have you seen this shift in faith or religion in Appalachia? You know, you, you mentioned a couple of times before that that's not really the case anymore. So have you seen a shift over your career as pastor? I have um, in, in, you know, it's sad to say, but you're seeing less emphasis on how important it is uh, to be in attendance at church. I know that for me, you know, people have just gotten where it's okay to miss church more and more and more uh, than before. Also in those church closings, I saw that 9% are, are rural. Obviously your uh, church is in a rural area of Tennessee while 9% doesn't seem like a lot, in rural areas, that can have a significant impact where it's the only church within 50, 60 miles. What some might refer to, or maybe not, church deserts. I don't think I've ever heard that, but I have heard of grocery deserts. But there could be church deserts, especially in rural areas. Um, do you see that in, in, in Jackson County? And is that something that you guys, you know, maybe struggle with, the, the, the closures of churches? 
I do. I've got a different opinion of that, if you would. So, so here, that's a good question. And let me answer that. And I'm, I could get in trouble for this, but I think there's a twofold answer to this because spent a lot of time thinking about it. One of the things is, as you have mega churches that are opening up, and of course, that's here too, right? And a mega church here would be five to 600,000, maybe. Um, and I'm talking about neighboring counties, not my county. As those churches open and they're, they, they really are going after that more, and I don't know if I want to call it progressive or different type of um, worship, right, than what is normal in Appalachia. So, so Appalachia worship is hymnals, right? You, you open up your hymnal, you've got the old Appalachian preacher, and you, sometimes you got the old hacker, and I think you all probably know what I'm talking about when I say hacker. As times are changing, in, in, in that area, you got the more of the praise and worship and uh, more different things that are going on in churches. They are pulling people out of the rural communities into the more urban areas, and they actually push the one service a week type of, uh, uh, of service. Do y'all see that? I mean, it's okay to go to church only on Sunday morning, and it's not necessarily important that you go on Sunday night. So as you do that, you see your members migrating uh, leaving and going to those places. And then what happens is the congregation gets smaller and smaller, and then you get down to a handful of people, and then they end up closing. And that's what we see. The other thing I see is more men and women that are called to ministry work, right? Or after they spend a certain amount of time in the ministry, especially in pastoring. And when a husband and wife, when a husband, a man's called to pastor, the wife's called to be the pastor's wife. Okay. So if, if a man makes it as a pastor 20 years, it's a long time because of, of uh, dealing with people in, in, in the new era that we're dealing with. I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to be as conscious to be not say the wrong thing here uh, because I don't want to be mean, but that people are hard to deal with anymore. And you're dealing with um, people losing members and then fighting to keep your congregation. And uh, people are not as dedicated as you mentioned earlier about going to church as they used to be. And so you see a lot of pastors after uh, eight to 10 years, they'll find a different area of work. They'll get out of pastoring or they may go into mission field, right? Ministry work as far as being an evangelist. I got a good friend. It was a pastor 22 years and he, he just got tired of pastoring and went into evangelism. It is a very successful evangelist, but it's kind of sad that he gave up the pastor's position just because he got tired of pastoring the local church and wanted to go into evangelism. So I, I think that's a lot of it. I think around, I can think of 10 churches locally and I'm talking about in my County that have uh, open positions, either, either as what they call a preacher or as a pastor. Those, those are at least 10 open positions right now, and they can't find young men or men to, to fill those positions. So it's definitely an issue, and it's easier sometimes to consolidate. You'll have two community churches that will join as one, and so you have a church closing is what you have. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you touched on the, the issues or the challenges. I've heard, you know, obviously there are several challenges. I've heard of three primary challenges, especially for rural pastors or rural churches, that being resources, loneliness, and vocational identity. I wanted to ask you about that vo- vocational identity. There there are a few things that a pastor can be in a rural community. That's a full-time pastor where they get paid by the church, a co-vocational pastor where they are just, they have a job, but they're called to, to pastor as well, or a bivocational pastor where they pretty much have to work to make a living 
include on top of pastoring, or there's just a simple volunteer. So uh, you, uh, I'm assuming, are co or bivocational pastor. How hard is that playing that dual role? Obviously, you're considered a part time pastor, but you're not a part time pastor. If you're a pastor in a small community, you're a full time, 24 7 pastor all the time. You know everyone, everyone knows you. So, how hard of a challenge is it for you to be a that just have that vocational identity? So, yeah, I am a bivocational pastor. Um, so, you said it. And um, now my church does pay me a salary, but it's small, right? And, um, and they don't have to, but I want them to give all that back because I want them to be in the habit of paying. I won't be here forever. One of these days I'll be gone. And so it, it's extremely hard. I, I said when I got called to the ministry and just in, in the service mode, right, uh, as, as a, a, a layman preacher and a lay, layman in the church, uh, one of the first things I recognized was my pastor was bivocational at the time. And I thought this is that, that, that's the hardest thing I've ever seen, working a full time job. And then trying to pastor, and I actually saw because I was right there. He was my mentor. I was right there with him all through all of the ups and downs and the grinds that come with it, and didn't see it all. And I, I won't ever forget. He told me, he said, "If you can do anything, try not to be a bivocational pastor." And what did I do? The very thing I did was become a bivocational pastor. Uh, so I understand what he's saying, and it's very difficult if you don't have a church that understands that position. Then I can say it would probably be even worse, right? I mean, my church understands, uh, very open to it, understands that you can't be there for every little thing. You're working constantly. In a, me, I'm, I'm just a glutton for punishment. I, I felt called to be the mayor of the county. So I've, I've got two full-time jobs. And, and when I say full-time, the mayor's position is, you know, 60 to 70 hours a week, not counting the ministry side. I feel if you know a bivocational pastor, uh, pray for him, even her, uh, pray for them because it, it's very difficult. And the wife also, because um, the wives are the ones who don't see their husband a whole lot. I read the book. The book tells me my wife comes before anything else. But when you're a pastor, your wife comes second a lot more than what they should. You know, I tell my wife all the time, I couldn't do what I do if it wasn't for her. She's right there with me, even when it's not convenient. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. A lot, you know, a lot of Smaller communities all throughout Appalachia have that same issue, that same challenge as the majority of the pastors that, uh, along the way are either bivocational or co-vocational. So th there's a challenge there. I also mentioned resources. Um, you have a challenge within your church in regards to resources. I saw that there's this new website, maybe not be new, but it's also uh, by Namby Replant Hub where it offers online resources to rural pastors, whether it be through sermons or just uh, resources in general. Do you have a challenge in regards to resources, where, whether it's financial or just resources in general for your church? I'm fortunate that my church is very giving, right? So, so the financial side, we, we do well. Uh, I think it helps that I have a good job to where I can give back and tithe my part and give as as Lord's given to me, uh, that, that's very beneficial to my church. And I, I'm glad I'm able to do that. And But you're right about bivocational pastors. Resources are difficult. And outline resources uh, for sermons uh, are, are a big deal, okay? The time that it takes to put together a sermon, um, people forget that how many hours do you dedicate? And I said, no less than eight hours a week. Um, to a Sunday morning service. And, and it should be 24, but uh, 
I try to do 16, but the resources of outlines. And so I have a resource that helps me with outlines because you can get an outline and then make it your own, right? If, if I'm reading some scripture and doing my daily devotionals, right? And so then I get something in my mind. Sometimes I have plenty of time to put that together. Last week was one of those weeks when I had plenty of time to put my own together and it was really good. And then there's times when you don't, if you're going to conferences or you got meetings and, and so you can go and find an outline that fits what's the words laid on your heart and able to make that your own. I, I wouldn't call it cheating. Uh, I really like the word resource and you're able to take that resource and then put it into what you want that to be and in, in how it's been laid on your heart uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, usually that works really good. I don't know how other uh, bivocational pastors uh, do it. I, I, I know how I do it. I know how my late pastor did it. Uh, when, when he was mentoring me, I saw. And so uh, th- these resources are important and you couldn't do it without it, right? No, I think I've really underplayed uh, Pastor Hetty's work. You can check out his sermons at New Hope Baptist Church in Jackson County. But I also really underplayed your role as mayor, as Mayor Randy Hetty. I know the population in Jackson County has been in decline for 20 years, like a lot of smaller towns throughout Appalachia. But the last several years, especially during COVID, after COVID, you all have seen an increase in taxes, increase in population. So I congratulate you for that. But in regards to resources, has that also been hard on Jackson County uh, with this influx of population? Yeah, it, that's even more difficult than the pastorate. <laughs> so uh, we're limited because we're Appalachia. Now, you, you and uh, Neil both know this from being from southeastern Kentucky. Being Appalachia brings its challenges, right? Here's the deal. We are a county uh, that's made up like a lot of southeastern Kentucky. All right. So we're hills, hollers and river runs through it. And so you all get that right. Flatland is a commodity. You don't have a lot of it. I don't have a lot of industry. So uh, my resources are challenged. And one of the things that we've really grabbed the hold of to increase our tax base has been tourism. Uh, because while uh, what you take for granted is beauty, a lot of people are searching for that beauty, uh, searching for that natural uh, habitat and what's really awesome about Jackson County. So uh, we really took hold of that and worked well with it. Uh, COVID's actually been a blessing on that regard. I can't believe I said that, but I did. (laughs) (laughs) People were looking for us. We never shut down. We were wide open the whole time. And people came here because they wanted somewhere to go. It's really helped us. Our population's in the is growing also. I know what the census number says. We're probably 12, 3, 12, 5 um, since 2020 census. So we're, we're well over 12,000 uh, just because of the people that are moving here and that are building here, uh, which has a lot to do with the pandemic, right? And, and work from home now. Uh, we're a gig community. We're unusual as part of Appalachia in that we are a uh, we have 100 percent fiber throughout the county, which is not normal. You got a, a more urban area just south of me um, that is urban. Thirty thousand, thirty five thousand people live in the city. Eighty thousand live in the county and they do not have 100 percent fiber. But we here through a local co-op and uh, broadband grants, uh, we've been we've been fiber since 2019. 100% fiber. So we are a classified gig community. And so all these people that work from home are moving here and building. Uh, they want to be able to work, look out the window and say deer or squirrel or whatever. Yeah. And I'm not talking about one every now and then. I'm talking about grazing in your backyard. 
you know, it's pretty normal here. Yeah, you're right in the middle of Nashville and Knoxville. 80 from Nashville, 100 from Knoxville, and just north of um, the Interstate 40 and, and a probably 15 miles south of the Kentucky line. So perfect, right? You yeah. get the best of everything right here. So anybody <laughs> looking to for a place to relocate, come to Jackson County. We'd love to have you. <laughs> What's the city there? Gainesboro, little bitty town. About a thousand yeah. residents. You know, you mentioned some of your accomplishments, but I, I don't even think you went far enough. You know, you have, have historically been distressed in regards to the Appalachian Regional Commission, and you you no longer are uh, as a county, no longer has that distress criteria, and partly because of the accomplishments uh, as mayor. Well, thank you for saying so. Yeah, when I took office, we were distressed. We, we went uh, at risk in 2020, um, and then we were number so there was 20, uh, 27 counties that were 28 counties that was at risk in Tennessee. And, and when we went at risk and we was number 27. So we were just a few points from being uh, distressed. And, and this year's statistics came out uh, out of the 27 counties that are at risk in the state of Tennessee, we're 17th. So we've really moved down that uh, ladder, which is really good because that means that our uh, medium income is greater, our poverty rate is less, and then our unemployment rate is, is steady, steady low, right? I think it's 4.3, 4.4, which that's held all the way through the uh, pandemic. It's our household medium income is up and our poverty rate's down, and that's what's really made the difference. Obviously, you, you've been talking about that dual role, how challenging it is, and I, I think it's uh, just a compliment to yourself of how successful not only in the pastoral role of 27 years, you know, that's a long time, like you mentioned in the church, but also the successes as a mayor. So we want to commend you for the successes and the longevity, the sustainability that you had there in Jackson County. But I wonder if I got you a couple of quick questions just sure. to get to know Mayor Randy Hetty or Pastor Randy Hetty a little bit better. Cool. Go ahead. Since we talked about religion in, in Appalachia, what's your favorite church song? Favorite church song. All right. I've got about a thousand. Okay. So, uh, we, only got, we only got 30 minutes. Um, I guess my favorite would be what can wash, uh, what can wash away my sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's probably my favorite go-to of all of them. I sing that acapella from the pulpit sometimes just for fun. And, you you uh, want to, you want to share? No. <laughs> What's your favorite place or, or just spot in Appalachia? Oh, right here. Home. If I can spend, uh, if I could never leave, it'd be okay. I love to go and visit, but, well, I've never lived nowhere but where I live because uh, I just don't want to leave. Greatest place in the world, and uh, but it is my favorite spot, okay? Second favorite spot is tough because I'm, I'm learning some new places. If I ever get the chance, and I can talk my wife into it, we're going to Damascus and Edmonton, and we're going to spend a week because that's a place I never saw before, and I fell in love with it. I thought it yeah. was fantastic. As a pastor, I'm always, always curious about this. Do you get nervous when you preach? Maybe in the beginning, but still even today, do you get nervous when you go? No, not anymore. Used to. Used yeah. to get knots in my stomach. I always worry. It's commonplace, and it's really, I'll be honest with you, in the political world that I'm in, I used to say I'm not a politician, which is a lie, because I am. <laughs> you know, just happen to be a Christian politician, but it's really helped me with my public speaking. 
I, I don't mind standing before a crowd and pitching my idea or trying to get people on board with what I'm doing um, because of being standing in front of the congregation all the time. I, I used to get really nervous. I don't anymore. How about that? Do you have a favorite sermon or topic? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's easy. Salvation. It's my favorite thing to talk about, but I don't. I mean, I have to feed the flock, right? Prayer is a good one, but my favorite is salvation. Just the gospel message. That's my favorite. What's your favorite thing about being mayor? So improving the quality of life for my resident. That's my favorite thing. Helping people um, because yeah. that's what you're doing. Have you had lessons learned that you would like to quickly just mention as mayor or pastor? Uh, so as mayor, it's making sure that you have everybody at the table. Because, look, I don't represent the 60% that voted for me. I represent 100% of the people of Jackson County. And everybody has a right to be at the table. I, I want to help them all. Uh, as pastor, you have to be a leader in a church. And sometimes this is the truth, whether you're in a mayor's position or in a church leadership. If you're a true leader, you have to lead even when it's hard. You may not even want to do what you're doing, but if it's the right thing to do, you got to continue to lead. And you can't forget that that's the most important thing. That's what you've called, you've been called to do is lead. And you have to lead even when it might not be the easiest thing to do. Two, two more quick questions. Okay. Do you ever get sick of hearing Rocky Top? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the game Saturday and I heard Rocky Top a bunch and it never got old. No, never. Mm -mm. Oh my gosh. I got <laughs> And this is before the game. We listened to it on purpose. I was hanging out with some people that I knew. We listened to 20 versions of Rocky top before we went into the stadium. We heard a heavy metal Rocky top. We heard the traditional Rocky top. We heard the country Rocky top. We heard them all right. Just for fun. Yeah. And so, no, I know. Oh, uh -uh. Last question, cornbread or biscuits? Cornbread. I love biscuits too, but cornbread. Yeah. I got to get a word in where, where I can. Uh, I like to ask everybody this. You being a longtime Appalachian like myself, what's the first thing that comes to mind when people say the word Appalachia? Okay, I'm thinking, because the first thing that comes to mind when we say Appalachia, it, my old version is different from my new version. So the greatest thing ever happened to me was going through IRC because I understand Appalachia better than I ever do. So Appalachia to me is good people, hardworking, faith-based, living in the greatest place that you could ever live. Uh, I don't know if it's kosher, but can, can I get an amen? Amen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to follow up. This is also a question that we ask everyone. This is the last question, Randy. I know we've kept you maybe longer than you've wanted to be on here. And you already alluded to it. I think we already know the answer, but just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique? I live in a little community called Free State. And uh, very, it's not a big community. I've lived there now for 24 years, um, 25 years. And it's where I grew up. It's where my mom and pa, my, I grew up a sharecropper's son and grandson. And my mom and pa were sharecroppers on both sides. And when I was little and young, all the way up to teenage years, we spent a lot of time at my mom and pa Hattie's. You know, I, I walked those hills. You know, you could go and do anything you want. Walk in the fields and pastures, go to the ponds, go to the river. And as long as you was back for lunch, so mom knew that you were safe, everything was good, right? 
And I just, um, I live there because that's home and, and it's where my heart is. And um, I love it. Uh, I got, I was fortunate enough to buy some property there right across the road from where I grew up and uh, build a house. And that's where me and my family uh, resided. And uh, now they're all gone. It's just me and my wife, but Hey, it's been good. Mayor Hetty, Pastor Hetty, we want to thank you so much for being on the show, for giving us the perspective of that dual role as pastor, as mayor, but for really just talking about, you know, the religion in Appalachia, giving your ideas, your thoughts in that regard, and and, and really talking about what we've always been told never to talk about, religion and politics all at the same time. So thank you for being part of the episode and thank you for all that you do. Well, thank you for having me, you, uh, Will, Neil. And uh, I'll, I'll say this. When I first said I was going to run for mayor, I was told I couldn't because you can't mix. A mayor could not be a pastor. And I said, if a mayor can't be a pastor, should then should he be mayor? That's just my viewpoint on it. It's not mis- mixing church and state at all. I'm a mayor who has Christian um, values. But the, the, the misconception with faith-based Appalachia is that we don't love everybody that we don't, we're not open arms. Well, we, we, we believe what we believe, but it doesn't mean we don't love everybody. We have a right to believe what we believe and still love everybody at the same time. And if I leave you with anything, I'd want to leave you with that. I just want to love everybody. Well, Let's cross, lo- cross, love me. You know, that's it. That should be everyone's goal in life. Love God and love people, right? Amen, brother. Preacher bringing it on our podcast. What an awesome uh, guy Mr. Hetty is. Pastor Hetty, Reverend Hetty, Mayor Hetty. What do you call him? I think after this episode, we talk, we just call him Randy. Such a... <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to be such a great person uh, for that community, doing great things uh, on both the religion side as well as the politics side. Uh, not just him. But during his administration, they've had a really great success within that small town in East Tennessee. He's doing things in the Bible Belt that happen a lot uh, across the Bible Belt. But I believe that he's doing them to a greater degree. And I've got nothing but respect for him and appreciate all the work that he's doing there in his community. I'm glad he also touched on like how faith has kind of changed or evolved uh, in Appalachia throughout the years of how he he has that co-vocational role within his own church, how much time he dedicates to both. He's a very busy man. And I've got nothing but respect for him and really appreciate him coming on and sharing uh, his experience with us. Phenomenal leader in that community. Yeah, I agree. We want to thank him again for being on the show. I know in this episode we talked, uh, obviously focused on faith, in Appalachia and we'll have a follow-up episode as well next week just to dive in a little bit deeper into church and faith in Appalachia so we want to thank pastor slash mayor Hetty for being on the episode for giving us the time and really educating us on the on what faith means to a lot of people in Appalachia and how being from a small town in Appalachia some of the sacrifices you have to make just to 
have that co-vocational role or even bivocational role within these rural communities. In tradition of our podcast, do you do you have an app business for us for this week? And it can't it can't be uh, Reverend Hetty's church. <laughs> well, if it can't be Pastor Hetty's church, it's one that we've spoken about before. But I wanted to just talk about how it originated. It's Solar Holler. I know we've talked about Solar Holler before. One of the largest solar pa- panel companies now in West Virginia. But how it all started. The Shepherdstown Presbyterian Church in West Virginia was trying to fund some solar panels for their church. And they wanted to do it through a third-party ownership model, but apparently at the time, West Virginia regulations didn't allow it. So they had to raise funds in order to fund these solar panels. And how, how did they do that? There was a member of the church, Dan Conant, who now is the owner and operator of Solar Holler, but he had a creative way to come up with some money. He, he got a number of businesses and homes within the community to put in smart control water heater devices that would save them money over time. The money that they saved over time, they gave all that money back to the church to purchase these solar panels, 60 solar panels. In less than a year, they raised the money to purchase these 60 solar panels, which provided a thir- almost two-thirds of all the electricity to the church. So it was a pretty cool project, but not only that, it turned into what is now Solar Holler. So Dan continued to work in this capacity, and he started Solar Holler, which I think is a pretty cool story. So I just wanted to highlight that. We'll post Solar Holler in the show notes, and you can check it out. Yeah, I love it, Will. Lots of great things come out of a local church. I'm glad that we could have this episode just cast light into those involved in church, also doing great things in community and business. You know, I'm a big fan of of Solar Holler, so glad to mention it again. I guess uh, that brings us to the end, man. Just one more time, we'll thank Mr. Randy Hetty. Thank him for being on the show. And as we dive a little deeper next week into faith in Appalachia, as you mentioned, we're at the end, so we'll end it like we usually do. Until next time. I'm up in the mountains again I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin Now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong In the mountains again